We're in a battle. Is there any doubt? Uh, we're in a battle. We're in a battle that's real. We're in a battle that's evil. We're in a battle that's deadly. We're in a battle with casualties. And somehow in the midst of the battle, a lie that we begin to embrace is that Christians are exempt. That somehow because we're His and somehow with the finished work of Christ, that the battle shouldn't touch us. The battle shouldn't include us. That somehow we have this supernatural garment that will keep all evil away. Now it's true, my brothers and sisters, that the day is coming when the battle will completely be over. And it is true, my brothers and sisters, the battle, the, in, the outcome of the battle is no longer in jeopardy. We do not have to come here today and be told that we live in a battle. The events of the last week or so, the events of our lifetime, smack us in the face and remind us over and over and over again, we are in a battle. And it should remind us as Christians that we are in the crosshairs of that battle. Because really we have an enemy who hates us and wants to take us down. But we do not today have to come in here wringing our hands wondering who is going to win the battle. Do you know who won? You know his name is Jesus? Do you know that that, that cross was sufficient? Do you know that tomb was empty? Do you know that, you ready for this? That life reigns. Is there an amen there? Life reigns. But we are in clearly a battle. The battle is of life and death. And what we need to do is be prepared for this battle. Because why? It's too dangerous if we don't. We need to look at this difficulty in life. And listen, as God's redeemed, set free children, we don't shriek away. We don't back up. We say, let's address this as men and women of God. Let's address this battle head on with integrity, with honesty. And there'll be some things that we just got to shrug our shoulders and say, God's ways are not our ways and we don't understand. But let's be men and women of God and tackle this dangerous issue head on. And in God's providence, in God's providence, which means God is in control and He has this unfolding the way He has as we've studied together in Ephesians, guess where we are? Spiritual warfare for the next two weeks. You would almost think that God was in control. You'd almost think that God knew that we would need to be here, wouldn't you? You'd almost think that he had it all worked out before time began, and if there's any doubt, take it away. He did. He knew our current family situation. If you're visiting with us or you don't know, we suffered tragedy. We lost a 48-year-old father of five. We have really been dealt a very difficult blow with the circumstances, and we're hurting deeply. But God has us here to comfort us. Again. So let's take our Bibles and say, as we open them, thank you, God, for a 
word that is living and active. Thank you for an inspired word at a time like this. And let us read together God's word from the Apostle, pens, uh, Apostle Paul's pen, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written today for us, or written for us today. I'm going to be reading Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. We will be looking at Ephesians 6, 10 through 14-ish today. Pick up the rest next week. But we need to read all of it today. Let's stand in respect to our great God as we read God's Word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day, evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, uh, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints, and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Please be seated. And let us pray. Father, as we turn to Your Word and the preaching of Your Word in the midst of the battle that continues to rage, I love the end of this passage where the Apostle Paul himself a spiritual giant, an anointed leader of the church, says, pray for me. That somehow, through his life, the mystery of the Gospel will unfold and that he will have boldness to proclaim the truths of the Gospel as he ought with clarity and conviction Why did he ask for prayer like this? Because he knew the battle that rages. Father, I stand before you a broken sinner, afraid, undone, not good enough. And I ask that you would come and speak through me at a time like this, not so that they'll hear my voice and hear my words and see me. Oh God, that'd be a waste of time but that we'd hear Your words. We'd hear Your voice. And that we'd see Jesus. 
our warrior, and our king, and our big brother. In the midst of the pain, Father God, would you open up our ears to hear because we need a word from you. Would you shine into our minds through the Holy Spirit, illumine our minds to your truth because we need to understand you better. What we thought we knew was not good enough for where we are today. Father, our hearts are beating as your children in faith, but we cry out like the father in the Gospels whose son needed healing and say, we believe, help our unbelief. Thank you that you're a big enough God that we could come to you and say, God, we're struggling, even with believing. God, would you prepare our feet for the battle with the good news of the gospel so that we can walk in the truth and we can leave footprints that run to you. Whatever is said and done that is true, that contains the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like Jesus. The things that are said that are merely my opinion are wrong. May they fall away and be forgotten. May you and you alone receive glory and may we receive comfort, joy, and challenge. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to follow along with the outline, it's in your bulletin. Realizing that we are in a spiritual battle, Paul is going to call us basically, first and foremost, to arms. He's going to call the church to engage in this battle. And i got to tell you, I think we've gotten it wrong as the church a lot of times. I think we've come to this passage, and I don't mean to be arrogant, I don't mean to think that we have the corner on truth, but I think at times we've kind of missed what this passage is all about, what it means by God to be called to arms. And we cannot afford at a time like this to miss it. Because when we do, the consequences are deadly and catastrophic. God is going to tell us in His Word and the call that Paul will say is finally, I'm going to wrap up this letter to you, this church in Ephesus. I'm going to wrap up this letter to you, this church in Orangewood. And I'm going to tell you, be strong. Be strong. But He will say this in this call of arms. Be strong because we're in a spiritual battle, but be strong knowing the source of our strength. What does it say to be strong in? Be strong in yourself. Be strong in your faith. Be strong in your might. Be strong in and of who God made you. Does it say any of that? Not one thing. It says this, my brothers and sisters, be strong in the Lord. There is a fallacy that we believe that we are now somehow to be strong in and of ourselves. That's the beginning of us unwinding in a spiritual battle. God doesn't look at us and say, okay, now buck up your mind. Okay, now bow up. Okay, now put on this armor because I need you to be strong. That's baloney. He says this, I need you to be strong in the Lord. And that begins when we remember what God already knows about us. And you ready, you ready for this? God remembers. Psalm 103.17 says, God remembers that we are but 
dust. And how crazy to think that God is now going to rescue us, make us His own, redeem us and say, now, by the way, I want you to be strong in and of yourself. And I'll tell you right now, Satan is going to beat many of us up and he does it often enough. He says, we're not strong enough. We're not good enough. We can't handle enough. And what does it say the source of our strength is? It is in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. So how do we do that? How do we be strong in the Lord? I think Colossians 3.3 tells us the answer. Colossians 3.3 says that we need to hide ourselves in the Lord. Did God send His Son to come and to save the strong? Did God send His Son to come and to save those who were spiritually all together? Did God come and to save the righteous? No, He says, I've come for the weak. I've come for the needy. I've come for the broken. I've come for the wounded. I've come for the meek. I've come for those that are so blessed to know that they are broken. That they need a physician. That they need a Savior. And come to Me exactly the way You are. Come to Me in Your weakness. A bruised reed I will not destroy. A snuffing wick I will not cut out. Come to Me, those who are weary. Come to Me and find rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Does He say to us, come those who are weak and all of a sudden change and become strong? That all of a sudden we come by His grace acknowledging our weakness and all of a sudden it turns around where it's all got to be about our strength. That's the fallacy, my brothers and sisters, of modern day Christendom. We are saved by grace and we work like heck to maintain salvation. Did you hear what I just said? Somehow we believe that we are saved by God's grace through Christ Jesus and the rest of it is us bowing up and being good enough in and of ourselves. And Paul says, be strong in the Lord. What is the source of our strength? It is in the Lord. We also need to know the futility of our own strength. Having the strength of His might. Do you hear that beauty? Having the strength of His might. The Apostle Paul, who wrote also um, to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11-30, will say this, if I'm going to boast and I'm going to brag about all the things that I have, I'm going to boast and brag about one thing. Weakness. Weakness. Why? Because Paul knew the futility of his own strength. Because he knew, listen to this, listen to this, Paul knew that his weakness made him run to a strong Savior. Paul knew that his weakness allowed him to see the beauty of the Gospel. Paul knew that his weakness drove him to Christ. And then one chapter later, he's going to say this. Unbelievable passage. If you want to look it up, it's 2 Corinthians 12.9. He states... What we just sang to start our our service. He stated, Paul stated in God's holy word, that God's grace is sufficient. Do we really believe it? God's grace is sufficient. And that God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. What does God want of us? He wants us to acknowledge that we don't have it all together. He wants us to acknowledge that we are futile in our own strength. He wants us to be strong in the Lord. He wants us to hide ourselves in Christ. You know how hard it is to do that? 
What would this church be like? What would your life be like if we really believed that God's grace was enough? Does Satan lie to you? We're going to talk about this in a minute. You know what he's been telling me the last couple of weeks? I'm not emotionally stable enough to be your pastor. That I've gone through too much to really do it anymore. That I'm just not good enough. And I'm not strong enough. And I'm not smart enough. And I'm not big enough. And I'm not bold enough. And you know the truth is, I'm not. But He is. He is. Be strong in the Lord. And we get this by realizing that our strength is not, listen, it's it's not enough. Rejoice. Are you weak? Rejoice. Are you broken? Rejoice. Are you unable to hold it all together? Rejoice. He doesn't want you to. Okay? Be strong in the Lord, in His might. I just think we completely have it all wrong. A typical Christian sometimes will think this call to arms is a call to to be strong in our puny little muscles. That God, look at me. Look at all I could do for you. No, it's a call for us to fall again into His arms and say, you're enough. I'm going to tell you something. The third point of this is knowing that God's grip on us is more important than our grip on Him. Did you hear that, church? Christianity and the Christianity of the grace of God is all about the reality that it's God's grip on us. His loving and holding us is a lot more important than our grip on Him. Because our grip on Him is not going to be strong enough to get us through some hard times in this battle. And the reality is sometimes we're going to let go. And even in the last couple of weeks, I've said, God, you can do anything you want to me. Just don't touch my family. I want to let go. And the beautiful reality is this. He never lets go of us. Have you ever heard Philippians 1.6? It says, He who began a good work in you, He is God. He began a good work in you graciously. That He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that means? He's never going to let us go. Have you heard of John 10 and I am the good shepherd when He says, I know my sheep. I know them by name. I know and nothing can take them out of my hand. Nothing that can remove them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that good news? Nothing. Do you know Romans 8, 34 and following will say that not even death can separate us from the love of Christ? Not even demons can separate us from the love of Christ? Not even any sin in our life, even at the end of our life, can separate us from the love of Christ? Do you know that beautiful reality that whoever you are, if you are a child of God, He will never, ever, 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 ever let you go? It's not about our strength. It's about His And now he tells us to put on the garments of warfare. He calls us to arms and basically he's calling us to realize you're puny and wimpy and you need Jesus and be strong in him. And now he calls us to the garments of warfare. My whole life, from Little League all the way through college, I was a catcher. They usually put the chubby little kid back there. I'm not going to tell you that's why I got there. But as you're a catcher in baseball, they give you something called the tools of ignorance. Um, and because you're going to squat down behind a guy with a bat 
and a kid is about 60 feet away is going to throw a baseball as hard as he can, and you're going to stand there and try to catch it, block it, and keep it from going behind you. And they give you tools of ignorance. They give you a mask and a, and a chest protector and, and shin guards and, and other equipment that I'm not going to mention. And you, you really you, you want to make sure you never show up to play catcher without the tools of ignorance. You never do. I mean, you, the, the, you just wouldn't do it. And I got to tell you, in the midst of the game sometimes, and I even did this later on, as even college, sometimes I'd run out without my chest protector on. And more than anything, I was just embarrassed. I was like, oh, what an idiot. But somebody loved me enough to say, hey, uh, you may want to go put a chest protector on. You may want to be prepared for this battle. And what God is saying is, listen, they're in a battle. There's a garment that you've got to wear for battle. We're going to talk more about the details of this garment next week. But he tells us this. Put on the full armor of God. What in the world does it mean to put on the full armor of God? Well, he's going to tell us some specifics. But I think more importantly that we need to hear this morning, turn with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13. Right after the book of Acts. Romans 13 is going to tell us, when he tells us to put on the armor of God, it might surprise us what he's actually calling us to do. Romans 13, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desire. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't think you're talking about armor here, let's look at 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What is the garment that God is calling us to put on? What is this spiritual garment that He wants us to wear? What is this armor of God? It's this, listen, put on Christ. Put on Christ is what He is calling us to do. What in the world does that mean? It means this. I'm 6'3 and a biscuit away from 300. (laughs) But I'm still a wimp. And I'm still afraid. And I really want someone else to fight my battles. I just want a big brother that will show up and and, and take care of the bullies in my life. And just beat the stew out of them. And just win this great victory for me. And then I could just wear my, my big brother's letter jacket and say, he's my hero, he's my victor. We have an enemy that we can't defeat. And we're in a battle that we can't win. And God knows it. But he wasn't going to let the outcome be determined by Satan. And he wasn't going to let evil win. So he sent out a big brother. And this big brother came garbed in flesh. And he put on the full armor of God. And he came and he fought his and our greatest enemy, Satan himself. He fought his and our greatest enemy, death itself, and the results of sin. Our big brother's name is Jesus. And he fought the ultimate battle for us. And a holy God's eyes who said, you must be holy and righteous to enter my presence. This big brother named Jesus was righteous. He did all the things that we were supposed to do, but failed to do. He took on God's wrath fully at the cross 
He battled the demons in the darkness. He was separated from the holy God's presence so we wouldn't have to be. And he says this battle, this battle that rages, God's Son is going to win in Christ Jesus. And now put on the full armor of God means this. Put on Christ. And how we do that is we come to Him by faith and say, I embrace you and your victory on the cross. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I am weak. I need Jesus. And I'm going to put on His blood. I'm going to ask that God would cover me in His blood. Robe me in His righteousness. Hide me in His life. The life I now live, I live for Him. Do we get it? Put on the armor of God means coming to say, I'm a weakling. I'm a wimp. I'm not good enough. But Jesus is. And today, again, I'm going to deny myself and I'm going to hide myself in Christ. What's the garments of warfare? It's wearing our big brother's garment of righteousness. It's hiding ourselves in Jesus. It's saying that Christ and Christ alone is enough. I read to you Romans 13.12. we got to put on the armor of light. There's no light in and of ourselves. We're but dust. We're frail and broken. When we put on Jesus, we just align ourselves up with the Father and the Son and say, shine, Jesus, shine. Put on this armor of light means robing ourselves in Christ. That's the garment of warfare. Then taking our stand. There's a few things we're going to hit quickly with this. He says for us to stand. Why? Because we have a real enemy. Satan is real. <laughs> Satan is real. Matthew 13, 39, he's going to call, be called our enemy. And one of the greatest lies that Satan is going to want to tell us is that it's not really real. The devil, Satan. Paul's saying, listen, there's cosmic forces at work. This Satan is real. And you're to prepare to fight. And if we don't believe it, we're not going to be prepared Satan is real. Satan is crafty. So, so we can put on the armor of God. So why? So we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. He's got a game plan. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, that Satan is like a, a, a lion. He's like a lion roaming around looking for those to devour. And who does he want to devour? Those that aren't his. And whose aren't his... But Christians, Christians have been fed to the lions for years ago. It all begins with Satan. Listen, the bottom line is we've got to know as a church that there is a real Satan. He has a plan. He's got a plan. And a plan to take you out. A, t- a plan to mess you up. A plan to mess us up. Those of you who played football, you remember... That when you were preparing for the other team, you, you learned their plays. You had the second team or the first team defense play their plays so that we knew their scheme, their plan. There's a scheme and a plan that Satan has to take you and your family out. And he's real. And he's crafty. And he's powerful. It says it's cosmic power. I, I, I don't fully know how powerful but I know amazingly powerful when he touches amazingly strong men and women in our church. But I do know this about his power. It's not limitless. It's limited. And I do know this, that we know as Abba Father, the Almighty. 
And the power is on our side. But He truly is powerful. And that Satan is also a liar. Do you hear me? He's called the father of lies. And Satan is amazingly good at lying. Listen, do we know that Satan is good at lying? Let's just spend a second on this. I mean, Satan can convince us that that life is better without us. That our families are somehow better without us. Satan can convince us of a lie. That somehow you're not good enough. Somehow you're disqualified. Satan is lying to a lot of you. I've heard it this all week. Satan is lying to you. And he wants to say that you're part of the reason of this tragedy. That, that, that maybe if you responded in a different way, or, or maybe, and, and listen, he's lying of you. He's accusing you. He's beating you up because he's the father of lies. He wants to mess with you and say somehow you're the reason for this tragedy. He's a liar. And what does Romans 8.1 say? You ready for this? Those of you who are feeling guilty, those of you who are, who are wrestling with who you are and what you have or haven't done, are you, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what Romans 8.1 says? There is no condemnation. Zero. Zip. Nada. For those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now that sets you free, my brothers and sisters. Satan, the liar, wants to bind you yet again with his lies. I hate him. He's messing with my family and I hate him. He's messing with me too. Satan is evil. Listen, he wants to take you out. But I have good news. Satan is defeated. The serpent's head has been crushed. The promise of Genesis 3.15 has been realized. Death has been defeated and we live in this kind of crazy time between D-Day and V-Day. I mean, really, our enemy has been dealt a blow that he will not recover from. And we taste through the Spirit of the living God and through each other right now that victory. And the sting is being removed, but it's not been fully removed from death yet. We still battle, and we still have casualties on the battlefield. We still have them. But the outcome's not in jeopardy. And we have a defeated foe that we're tangling against. We're going to talk about this, about that this victorious Jesus is waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool when he comes again. Lastly, the piercing of the darkness... Our battle is against darkness. It says it's not against flesh and blood. It's against darkness. It is real. God says He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. By nature, we're children of darkness, children of wrath. We are now called. We've learned this already. We've already been through this in Ephesians 4, verse 8, that we now are children of light by God's grace. He's made us His children of light. And now, as we read in Romans, we're to battle With the armor of light on us, we are to battle and pierce the darkness with the truth of the Gospel. With God's Word and remind one another. And the posture of victory. Stand. Yesterday was the 39th anniversary of the tragic Marshall football plane crash. And maybe you saw the movie, We Are Marshall. 
but it probably means a whole lot more to me than one other person in this congregation than anybody else, and especially to him. Because my best childhood friend, Dad, was on that plane. And 39 years ago yesterday, he lost his life when that plane went down. We came together and we celebrate birthdays that are close to each other. We came together this weekend and we wound up, he flew in from Texas and we wound up watching the movie We Are Marshall. In the beginning, the team had just played a game and they lost and the coach is telling them, you tried really hard, you tried really hard, but he, here's what the coach said right before the plane went down. He said, you guys really tried hard and as part of that I really respect, but listen, in this game, winning is everything. In Christianity, in the Christian life, winning is everything. Winning is everything when it comes to Christianity because we're talking about eternal things and and, and life and death. But listen, we stand today in the posture of victory because what Christ has done for us, for those who are here who are Christ and those who are with Him in Christ. We stand in victory in Christ Jesus because of our big brother's victory. Listen, we stand today in victory because Jesus sits in victory. What does that mean? The book of Hebrews 10.14 says this, Through one sacrifice, the high priest were having all these sacrifices. They stood up over and over and over again. It didn't work. But God's Word says this in Hebrews 10. 10 through 13. And 14, it says, Because of one sacrifice that God has made for sins through Christ Jesus, that Jesus sat down. Why did He sit down? Because death has been defeated. Our sins have been paid for. And it is finished. It says He's waiting patiently for His enemies to become His footstool. But Jesus' posture today is one of rest and victory. We stand in victory because He sits in victory. He really rescued us. The the debt was truly paid. He truly won. And we now stand in victory. Throughout the We Are Marshall movie, the new Marshall coach said something different. He says, listen, it doesn't matter if we now win or lose, especially this year or next year. It matters that we play the game and we take the field. You see, we look at our lives and as broken and tragic and difficult as this, there's an amazing courage that comes to say, you took the field. Showed up. Because he sits in victory. We can stand in times like this in victory too. Martin Luther King said, We must accept finite disappointment. We must accept finite disappointment, but we must never lose infinite hope. How do we have infinite hope? His name's Jesus. He'll never let us go. Our big brother won a victory for us. There was an English soldier who died in Afghanistan this month. Staff Sergeant Olaf Schmid, 30 years old. He went by the name of Oz. 
He tragically died in Afghanistan just a few weeks ago. And he was a hero well before his death. He dismantled 64 IEDs. And IEDs are improvised explosive devices. He saved countless lives by taking 64 bombs and defusing them. The 65th blew up as he worked on it. And it took his life instantly. And tragically, it was his last day of service. Oz didn't make it home alive. But in Christ, Ray did. And in Christ, if the last act of our life blows up in our face, we just couldn't hold on. He holds on to us. Isn't that good news? He will never let us go. Put on Christ. Stand firm in His victory. Be strong in His strength. Let's pray. Father, we're so confused and we so listen to the lies that somehow we have to be strong in ourselves and we're so afraid that our strength isn't enough, that we hide, we hide the truth. But the gospel of grace says that we're to come as broken reeds with nothing to offer and find strength and grace and forgiveness in Christ. Father, I thank You that You don't call me to hold on. I thank you that you call us to remember that you'll never let us go. Amen.